Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or one of our other series like 401 Access Denied or Go For It with Sarah Moffat, then make sure to like, follow, or subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it and you could be featured in a future episode. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. Uh, it's your podcast every two weeks. My name is Joseph Carson, and I'm the Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Psychotic, based in Town, Estonia. And I'm really pleased to be here. We've got an exciting discussion today, all about critical infrastructure. I'm joined again with my co-host, uh, Mike. Mike, do you want to give us an update on what we're expecting today? Yeah, uh, Mike Ruin, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cybrary. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about critical infrastructure with uh, Ben Miller from Dragos. Uh, ben, do you want to just uh, jump in and tell us a little bit about yourself, company Dragos, and what you guys do? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, so, hey, everyone. So, uh, I work at Dragos. Uh, so, uh, Dragos is focused on critical infrastructure, uh, ICS specifically, industrial control systems. I've been going at it for about five years now. Uh, we have a variety of different things that we're known for, I think. Uh, certainly, uh, the Dragos Intelligence uh, produces a lot of quality reports. Some of them are public uh, and and have uh, gained, I, I think, a little bit of reputation at Dragos. Uh, we also have our technology uh, where, where we instill all those, the, the, those indicators and, and detections back into the platform. Uh, I don't do any of those things, though. Uh, I work on the uh, services side. Uh, so my team delivers professional services of penetration testing, assessments, uh, and, and our blue team as far as uh, flyaway teams, uh, doing incident response, doing threat hunting, doing incident response plan reviews. Uh, all of that's centered around uh, uh, industrial control systems uh, and has been a crazy journey. I, I joined uh, from the electricity sector. Uh, so I was actually, I worked at a regulator, uh, NERC, uh, known for NERC SIP. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually weren't, wasn't on the regulatory side. I was I was doing some of the the voluntary information sharing under the ISAC, uh, but uh, uh, that's certainly my lineage there. And I was an asset owner before that uh, at Constellation Energy, um, and so it's been it's been very interesting gaining perspective from other verticals <laughs> uh, beyond electricity and, and just where everything stands. Uh, so it's been a it's been a fun journey so far. Absolutely, that's great. I think one of one of the things for me is you know. How, you, we tend to see a lot more in the news recently about uh, critical infrastructure becoming targeted. What is what has changed over the, you know, we wasn't so much 10 years ago and and probably non-existent 15 years ago where we heard you know very little about critical infrastructure being targeted by cyber attacks. What has changed in the last 15, 10 years that's really brought it into the forefront? What what's causing these companies to become much more victims today? Uh, it's a great question. So it, I, I want to say everything uh, and nothing at the same time. Uh, I mean, uh, so go. The, I think the uh, before we started, you mentioned the S word, Stuxnet. Yeah, yes. uh, so Stuxnet yeah. was certainly a a event that grabbed everyone's attention. Uh, and I I, I want to say 
caused a, a sequence of events where, where uh, folks realized they didn't have certain capabilities and they started developing those capabilities. Uh, that really started manifesting about four or five mm-hmm. years later when we, we started seeing uh, a more advanced attacks on critical mm-hmm. infrastructure uh, culminating in Ukraine 2015, yeah. uh, Ukraine 2016, and the Trisis slash Triton attack that occurred in 2017. Uh, and, and that continued on. Uh, I think that still didn't get the perspective of organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very much a, well, Russia is not attacking me sort of uh, uh, yeah. construct. Uh, but then we started seeing ransomware and, and unsophisticated, well, I'll say unsophisticated attacks uh, across uh, various areas where, where it really showed just how you don't want to be culpable uh, and, and be in, in that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's led to a, a heightened interest uh, to the, the, to the degree that we have executive orders that talk about operational technology. Yeah. Like they actually use the words operational technology. Uh, uh, so that the degree of focus has really heightened uh, over mm-hmm. even just the, the last uh, 12 months. Uh, and it's, it's been interesting uh, being that kind of toad in the water as it slowly mm-hmm. increases in temperature. As again, then I think that sort of leads to the question I had, which was, is it so much, I mean, like we know that there's been an increase in targeting, but I also feel like some of it's just happenstance. A lot of it isn't really targeted. It's just this, these, com- these criminals are finding different things that are open and vulnerable, maybe not even realizing what it is that mm-hmm. they're, they're attacking or what the implications of what they're doing are going to really be. Is that also the case that's also causing the sort of heightened awareness? I think it's both for sure. Uh, so uh, years ago, well, we were talking about Shodan, uh, uh, and, and John Matherly's done excellent uh, with Shodan uh, in in presenting the the problem set uh, to the public. Uh, I think everyone's like, oh yeah, uh, that's okay. Uh, uh, they didn't accept it as okay, but they didn't necessarily do anything about it, or they didn't have the right tools to do anything about it. Uh, because often when something's on Shodan. It was an accident. It was a misconfiguration. It wasn't like it was their yeah. their policy to, to put it online. Uh, so it became a, a, a hard problem to, to solve. Uh, by with those uh, attacks that uh, we're seeing that look very opportunistic of mm-hmm. um, ransomware that moves in from the internet uh, or, or just uh, any, any so, sort of unauthorized access that moves in from the internet uh, because RDP was exposed or there was mm-hmm. a device itself that was on the internet. Um, it, that's certainly increasing, uh, uh, more and more attention on it. The, the barrier I think has been reduced quite a bit and mm-hmm. that there's a lot more knowledge around these systems than there used to be on the industrial side. Um, but then you also have the nation states that are actively building their capabilities. As I said, yeah. uh, they're doing a lot of reconnaissance, uh, they're, um, subtle, uh, and that they're building their, their toolkit along the way mm-hmm. at the same time. Absolutely. It reminds me, actually, you know, one of the things that I've noticed as well is that absolutely, you know, it started off with governments and nation states doing intelligence gathering, reconnaissance capabilities, you know, developing their offensive capabilities and preparations. And then, of course, you know, we got organized crime who decided, you know, they want a part of it and get into basically, you know, criminal side of things where you start doing, of course, ransomware. And the accidents started happening when they moved into this affiliate program in the past, you know, 24 months where you've got basically rather than the, the, the criminals themselves, basically they will do it as a service. And then you've got these smaller gangs who are basically just doing opportunistic attacks. And unfortunately, you know, critical infrastructure is becoming secondary victims just because of you know ransomware 
Uh, they just want to get uh, uh, you know, money, profit out of it. The one thing it reminds me, though, is that when, you know, one thing I've seen change, and it reminds me of many years ago, I worked in, in, in the maritime sector quite uh, aggressively. And it reminds me of a story one, basically, as you mentioned, Shodan, we did a scan one time, and all of a sudden, there was an IP range that came up that shouldn't have been, that we should not have seen. Basically, was, we find basically one of the ship systems, engine control systems, was not available in the public internet. We're trying to figure out why that was happening. And ultimately, basically, what we end up finding that investigations and basically checking why the systems were actually in the public domain was ultimately there was a captain on the ship <laughs> who decided that didn't want to be basically in the bridge 24-7. And uh, ultimately, they went to their, their, their cabin and uh, they wanted to be able to speak with their family. Back then, they were, of course, using Skype. They could make you know, phone calls back to home. And what they'd done was is they basically wanted to be able to see the navigational system um, in their cabin. So they got a big, long cable and basically Ectus connected it to it, connected it to the laptop and created a bridge. And of course, it was during 2000, it was about 2010, 2011. So there was a crew welfare law that said that now, you know, crew basically on these long uh, voyages had to have some type of, you know, uh, connectivity so they can actually, you know, browse the internet, send emails, can I talk to their family? And this captain basically unaware, unintentionally had created a bridge between basically the bridge of the, the ship and the public domain using their laptop. And I think this kind of realizes, you know, when we talk about Shodan and we talk about basically uh, OT and IT, there is a convergence of those both coming together where previously OT was more, let's say, segregated. It was, you know, Stuxnet, of course, brought it, the S word brought it to visibility that, you know, these are guest systems aren't really as effective. Um, but I think, you know, uh, we've seen a convergence of the two. Do you think that this is causing much more of a problem for organizations as OT and IT are converging and these systems are now becoming more publicly connected than they were previously? Uh, I, I think uh, in general, they're just becoming more connected, uh, more and more interconnected. Uh, and a lot of folks, I, I don't know if they, they appreciate what that leads to mm -hmm. uh, uh, over over time. Uh, so you, you can have a great deployment, uh, whether it's a, a ship uh, or or <laughs> uh, a SCADA system, mm -hmm. uh, a DCS uh, for for a plant a generation plant. Uh, after that deployment, more things get added. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not like they get reduced over time. Uh, uh, yeah. it, it only gets more complex uh, and and more connections. In uh, one of the one of the things we've been uh, we've been talking more and more at Dragos is just atrophy of the security controls over time. Uh, so you can have mm -hmm. the, the best uh, policy. Uh, my team, uh, when we're doing assessments, there, there have been multiple instances where we're doing firewall reviews uh, mm -hmm. in the firewall that has the that any any uh, uh, permit, and it it's commented temporary or test <laughs> right. Uh, it's uh, there's nothing more permanent than a test. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, that it, that continual atrophy of the security mm -hmm. program uh, definitely happens, and, and I, I think there's a mm -hmm. lack of oversight uh, uh, in, in many mm -hmm. ways uh, in these security programs. The the traditional enterprise and uh, uh, security apparatus generally does not have mm -hmm. visibility into the OT side, uh, and and that's uh, likely because IT screwed up before and, and OT doesn't trust them anymore. Uh, and, and so when you're talking about safety uh, and, and uptime mm -hmm. where where you're uh, 
hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars per hour uh, uh, is relying on uptime. Mm-hmm. You're not going to accept uh, the apology of something that happened 10 years ago. Uh, uh, and you're, you're <laughs> going to start limiting their access as much as possible. It calls that DMARC and, and uh, a true DMZ, uh, but not against the adversary, mm-hmm. uh, against the, the other mm-hmm. Uh, the other teams within the company, uh, uh, and it, it becomes a uh, really challenging uh, sort of environment. I, I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the people problem and the organizational problem is can be much more amplifying than than the technology mm-hmm. uh, that we have uh, today in a lot of these environments. I mean, I think that's human nature in general. Like you yeah. look at any yeah. any industrial, whatever, where there's like safety controls, but then, well, the work needs to get done and like we're going to cut corn, you know, like there's this, there's always that sort of give and take between the people that want to make sure things are secure or safe or whatever. And the people that are like, well, time is money. And if we follow the exact same, you know, these exact procedures will be downtime, they'll be whatever. Um, and so it's, I guess it's not that surprising that it would, show up between mm-hmm. those two groups, especially where you're talking about industrial controls where, right, resiliency is important, uptime is important, all these things. Time is money. Um, yeah. and can't, and, you know, I have an IT background. We make mistakes. Like, sometimes things go down, you know. Yeah. One I bad think, rule. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things is there's, there's a big difference between IT and OT. IT seems to, you know, has a life cycle of three to four years, typically. You know, you're rotating. You know, I've seen maybe maximum seven years to try to squeeze as much out of, out of it as possible. But you tend to kind of force to update whether new technology, new hardware comes out. In OT, however, I've seen systems, you know, 20, 30 years old that they just don't want to change because it works. And to change it means changing not just one component. It means changing the entire, you know, like production line of something. Um, and potentially breaking things. I mean, like you look at hospitals, yeah. you look at yeah. any number of systems, it's the same problem, right? Nobody wants yeah. to update because they're scared. Well, it's even worse than that. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, there's, there's support <laughs> contracts, right? There's support contracts. You, you buy a, a turbine uh, uh, that is generating electricity. Mm-hmm. You don't separately, uh, it's not a la carte where you get to choose which computer is going to run it. Like it, it yeah. is a combined integrated system. Uh, and, and so uh, you can't necessarily just swap out that computer without breaking your warranty, breaking the the, yeah. the support uh, contract that you have there. Uh, so th- it is very much a, um, uh, I think supply chain's a, a big topic of late. Uh, when, when you have yeah. uh, instrumental vendors and OEMs and partners uh, that, that are needed for that support, um, then it becomes a much more complicated uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. We have multiple stakeholders that, that you need uh, to work with on uh, uh, maintaining the, the latest version of, of uh, Windows or or a, a controller. Um, uh, and, and that's a challenge, especially when you're looking at, uh, uh, to your point, a, a lifespan of mm-hmm. uh, 20 years uh, for the equipment. Um, m- my laptop is four years old and it's barely mm-hmm. working right now. It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because one, yeah, one mean, thing. Go ahead, Mike. I was yeah. just going to ask, like, is that part of the support contract? Is secure? Is that becoming a thing now? Are we looking at where these vendors are sort of being asked to say, like, no, we're not just going to support it, but we're also going to patch it and do security updates and stuff like mm-hmm. that? Is that becoming part of the norm, or is that or are we still off from a ways off from that? Yeah, so I, there's certainly a, a base level of um, uh, we're going to provide you security and, and patches, uh, uh, but the the OEM vendors absolutely. Um, have incentivized uh, security services uh, within their their portfolio, uh, whether that is um, 
expediency, uh, rolling out those patches faster, uh, having uh, environments that are set up uh, at the vendor where they do their testing and, and staging before they, they roll out and do that, mm -hmm. that integration testing uh, to a variety of security services, very similar to what Dragos does. Uh, the challenge with uh, uh, often many of those OEMs, you walk into a, a refinery, it's not just one vendor, uh, right. uh, it, it's a lot of vendors. Uh, yeah. uh, and so that's the challenge of um, uh, death by a thousand paper cuts on, on all of the, these vendors mm -hmm. and, and how you put your arms around it. And I'm sure yeah. you have a staging refinery, right? Like where you can test all of it. Just a separate refinery that's just standing there waiting for you to do whatever testing oh, there, you there's need. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> if you're willing to, to pay for it, absolutely. There is there is a very similar analog or you have your digital twins and, and a lot of other areas uh, that have been going down from... Yeah. Oh, that's what actually I, surprising find, to yeah. hear. I was actually being facetious. I thought for sure you're yeah. gonna be like, no, nobody's gonna build a but, whole. But what they do? Turn out <laughs> so, so, Mike. But they do. So, so I did years ago uh, in the power station. You're familiar. I've mentioned a few times. Mm -hmm. um, what ends up happening is it doesn't. It's not a test environment. It becomes an auxiliary, um, uh, which means that they use it for basically if they need to do some maintenance on the main site. This becomes an auxiliary to providing, let's say, excess energy. So when the main site's being offline or they're doing, you know, they've got, they'll have multiple engines and power stations will have two, two basically, uh, you know, uh, let's say engine centers and command and control to help two of everything. But what happens is it doesn't become just only a test, it becomes an auxiliary, it becomes a backup. It becomes a maintenance right. site um, rather than basically just somewhere where you test things. Uh, so, you know, whenever, for example, even during, you know, high usage times, let's say it comes to Christmas and people put their Christmas tree lights on, they need to have excess energy to go right. into those. So rather than just being a test site, it becomes an auxiliary type of site for, for those uh, kind of high usage times or uh, when they need to do maintenance to the to the main sites. And this gets right. Which surprising because yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's the same thing we used to do back, you know, in the old days when it was much more yeah. expensive to run servers and stuff, we'd have that same stuff. Um, so that's awesome. So, so Ben, one, one of the things that come, coming into that when you, you were mentioning earlier, uh, one thing I became familiar with when I was doing, in, in, even in the maritime side, what I did see, and this was around 20, probably 2012, 2013, to your point, a lot of the OEM contracts. What ended up happening was that the, you, you've got many vendors coming in. You'll have you know, you have the, the engine, um, you'll have basically the comms, you'll have satellite vendors, um, and all getting in, and it comes in this whole integrated system. But what I started seeing was it was conversion into that you buy the hardware, but you don't own the data, meaning that you have to send the data back to the manufacturer. And we've seen this, of course, with autonomous you know, with, uh, vehicles. Um, you've seen it with you know, home televisions and so forth. You're starting to see that the actual manufacturers are now saying, you own the hardware, but we maintain ownership of the data. Therefore, to, you need to send the data back to us, meaning that these systems have to have an outbound direction to, to the internet to get that data back to the manufacturer. Um, and that gets into the support agreements, into um, diagnostics data, into contingent improvements. Is this also kind of fueling, you know, some of the, you know, the security challenges that a lot of these organizations and, and, and critical infrastructure are starting to have? Uh, yeah, I, it's a great point. And uh, so many different angles I could approach it. So mm -hmm. I, I, in a if you were to look at a standard model of, mm -hmm. of a network architecture within the industrial environment, it's usually stacked, right? With, with the enterprise or the internet at top, mm -hmm. and then it gets more and more trusted to where you get to the, the actual IO at the very mm -hmm. bottom layer. Um, 
and that looks very clean and cut and you're like, okay, that's good. Uh, and then you have these maintenance and diagnostics networks uh, that are third party and that's coming directly out of the side, directly to do the control yes. IO level. And then, and then you'll have uh, the, the comms on uh, something like mm-hmm. if it's a larger system, right? So uh, you mentioned uh, ships, if there's a port involved, uh, it has some sort of connectivity to the ships. That's another line that, that's mm-hmm. coming in from, uh, from radio. So yes. you have all the, these complex uh, sort of systems. Uh, and, and yet when uh, the enterprise uh, architect looks at it, they, they often don't see those auxiliary systems. Uh, they certainly don't own mm-hmm. them. Uh, uh, and, and so the, the aspect of uh, diagnostic and maintenance networks is absolutely uh, more and more pervasive uh, within, mm-hmm. within the vendors. Uh, and, and it has value too. Uh, so it's, it's not so much as like, why are you doing this? Just cut it off. Uh, they they are saving millions of dollars in maintenance costs by getting ahead of the problem uh, through the yeah. telemetry that's coming from these systems. Uh, so there is a real value in doing exactly that. Uh, but when you look at uh, Kaseya, uh, when you look at some of the other supply chain attacks, solar winds, uh, there were yeah. two OEMs that we know of that were using solar winds uh, to uh, track their customers' uh, uh, statuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were completely uh, uh, black boxed uh, so that the, the customers didn't know uh, that these vendors were using them as far as their diagnostic and maintenance network is just part mm-hmm. of the service delivery, right? Uh, so there's all these challenges uh, when you start peeling back the layers of um, uh, third parties, uh, networks, the software that's that's used there, the, the visibility uh, uh, to, to understand what's going on in these environments. Mm-hmm. We've seen we've seen PowerShell employed by third-party vendors uh, doing scanning activities within customer environments outside of maintenance windows, uh, all, all sorts of things that you you don't want to hear about in in one sentence. Uh, that happens uh, within these environments, and the uh, uh, the asset owners are largely oblivious to them because it didn't have direct impact. It didn't actually do anything uh, uh, harmful. Uh, and they don't have logging. They don't have visibility uh, within within the mm-hmm. network uh, uh, of of these environments. Uh, so they just they simply are oblivious to it. Well, that's optimistic. Takeaway there is very simple things can have a big impact on their security posture. Uh, uh, if mm-hmm. and it's not even necessarily a a high capital costs to, to implement those mm-hmm. uh, those sorts of controls. Should, should, okay. yeah. <laughs> so should, should, I mean, one of the things I've noticed in a lot of these, the critical infrastructure side of things is that safety is is the top priority. You, you know, it, when helicopters landing in a refinery or an oil rig, you know, everything is off, you know, communications is purely dedicated to the helicopter landing. When you put lives of, you know, at stake, this is where the priority comes. When I went into the power station, I was worried about, you know, IT security noticing me or, you know, identifying me. But no, it was all about safety. It was all about safety, what not to touch, where to go, you know, make sure that basically, you know, you're basically in presence of the safety person there all the time. Um, should security be in the same level of safety? Should we, should it, because it has cascading effects. If, you, if security is impacted, a lot of these safety systems are dependent on the security side of things. Should it be at the same level or, or, or at least uh, prioritize up there? Because right now, what I find it's not. Yeah. Uh, 
it should be that that same level. I think the challenge in some way is is a culture uh, from mm-hmm. a traditional cybersecurity perspective. Uh, they feel they're a top dog. I was like, I'm cybersecurity. I got this, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Give me space to work. They will always be trumped by safety. Uh, mm-hmm. So in, unless they work and identify how they can feed into the safety mm-hmm. program, that's the that's the way you can ha- have a large mm-hmm. impact there. Because the, the local facility, if you're a large refinery or, or another facility, mm-hmm. they absolutely have a safety of culture. Uh, you're walking down the the uh, stairs and you don't have mm-hmm. your hand on the handrail. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to call you out on that. And it's yeah. going to be a write-up. It's going to be days of paperwork uh, to, to, to do that. Uh, I, nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but that is the safety aspect uh, that yes. they've ingrained in their culture. Uh, they they have emergency operation uh, centers w- within the facility to handle mm-hmm. weather events or, or just uh, environmental uh, challenges, explosions, w- whatever yeah. is present in in that facility. Uh, and then you turn to the cybersecurity team and you're like, oh, I'm going to check the logs. <laughs> like, no, use the the EOC the the design mm-hmm. that's already been built. You don't need a new incident response plan. You you need to tie mm-hmm. your incident response plan to those emergency procedures. Yes. Uh, we've we've done exercises where one of my analysts was infuriated uh, because they're just going around in circles uh, mm-hmm. in the EOC, and he just looks at them, guys. You're in the EOC. All those binders on the wall, they tell you exactly what you need to do. Just go do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the light bulb triggered, and the, the cybersecurity guys started talking through the the EOC process. Their mm-hmm. next exercise they did a year later, entirely different. Uh, yeah. uh, because they were melding the, those two different worlds together mm-hmm. uh, and, and accepting that, hey, there's already something that exists. We don't need to reinvent uh, uh, to uh, uh, the the NIST 861 to, to feel good about our incident response plan. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I remember many of those calls were basically even, even conference calls. The first two, these five minutes was basically a safety notice. You know, for anyone, you know, you shouldn't be walking on the phone. You shouldn't be driving in your car. If you are, pull over. All of those oh, safety, was pure safety. And and I remember, I used to have them quite often. And you, every single time, you'd had that first two, you know, maybe it's five minutes, depending on the company, you'd have a safety notice um, yeah. about all, you know, to your point, you know, hand drills, you know, opening doors, walking, telephone. You can't, you weren't allowed to walk with your telephone. You had to be sitting basically in a, in a static place before you're allowed to be attending a conference yeah. call. I think it's underappreciated how how painful it is to, to before a meeting that you're hosting to come up with a safety yeah. a safety tip that hasn't been done yet. You hear all <laughs> kinds of things, man. <laughs> it's like don't don't sit on or don't stand on on a a chair that has wheels on it. That's not safe. <laughs> like really scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, because you have nine meetings that day and you have to come mm-hmm. up with five of them for the meetings that you're holding. Uh, but that is the level uh, of culture uh, that yeah. uh, electric has, uh, uh, oil, mm-hmm. gas, uh, critical manufacturing. It's all very yeah. similar. Uh, and I think underappreciated the, the degree of uh, focus that they put in there. Absolutely. So I think what you're saying is we've just coined, you've just coined safe sec ops, right? Like safety, security <laughs> ops. They just need to all come together. It's a whole new, uh, new yeah, term. Yeah, I love that. Have <laughs> <laughs> in there somehow? <laughs> But but I think I definitely you know this is where we need to be moving. It's it's all about you know we have to relate ourselves to the impact. It is what is the impact? Is it is a safety impact? Is it a financial impact? Um, because I think for too long from security side we've been focusing purely on our our world 
in everything we do and as a silo approach. And we definitely need to make that convergence. We need to listen to the business or listen to the critical infrastructure teams and understand about how they measure things. And we need to tie everything we do from security into that part of the business, whether it being, you know, um, getting into whether it being navigation systems or how, you know, let's say emergency rooms in a hospital are impacted if the computer systems are offline. Um, another point I was kind of thinking as well earlier um, on my mind was that are we seeing, you know, what I've seen in the last probably five, 10 years is much more commercial based uh, systems being used and the critical infrastructure being sitting on top of it. Where prior to that, probably, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was much more proprietary. They were building their own pieces. And then basically it was very, let's say, you know, specialists had to understand about how this all worked. I've started seeing this convergence of both basically commercial-based operating systems and the critical infrastructure components being built on top of it. Is this also because it means that, you know, you don't necessarily need to have all the knowledge and, and, and be a specialist in critical infrastructure because a lot of those new commercial systems are, are, are available, whether it being, you know, a Linux-based system um, that's been slightly modified. Is that also impacting, uh, you know, the ability for, let's say, attackers and nation states or, you know, cyber criminals to be more successful? Uh, because they're using commercial-based systems as well. I think so. So I, I, I feel like we've been using commercial-based systems for for so long as an uh, underpinnings for ma- many of these technologies mm-hmm. um, that it, it's a it's a hard question to answer. Like going mm-hmm. back to um, a, a lot of the, the older systems, uh, the RTOS system, real-time operating oh. systems, we're, we're using QNX, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, owned by by BlackBerry, uh, yeah. and, and a lot of the, these underlying those, which back in the early uh, 2000s mm-hmm. uh, was a very esoteric sort of language and, and kind of <laughs> mystical in that regard. Uh, I, I don't think it is much anymore, mm-hmm. uh, and and I. I the, the security that we've gained from actually moving to systems, uh, Linux systems or, or mm-hmm. just uh, 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 custom Nix solutions or e- even uh, in some aspects, Windows, I have more trust in that than some guy uh, at uh, o- or person at an OEM that built their own operating system. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so I, that actually gives me a little bit more confidence on, on the resiliency. Oh. Uh, there, there's a lot to be said on software lifecycle and, mm-hmm. and third-party solutions. Uh, we, uh, somebody, a, a vendor could easily buy the uh, the network stack uh, that mm-hmm. they're using and they're relying on the security of that network stack. Uh, historically, those have not been a high security, high vetted uh, uh, sort of uh, mm-hmm. sets of packages uh, that we've had, especially on the industrial side, the, the stuff that's tailored towards industrial. Um, it, it was never considered uh, security was never considered mm-hmm. as part of the requirements. Yeah. It was, it was always assumed that this device could talk to this device and nobody else has access to it. So why do I care about authentication? I'm just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reinterpreting serial communications and, and throwing mm-hmm. it into uh, uh, IP encapsulation and, and off to the races that we yeah. go. Um, that's still, uh, that's changing slowly, uh, but that's mm-hmm. still a, a very much present uh, sort of mm-hmm. artifact that we have in the industry on, on the, the software itself. Um, you, had, you had earlier mentioned consequences as well. Uh, yes. And uh, under, that there's a difference of conversation when you talk to uh, the engineer at the facility 
mm-hmm. uh, and a cybersecurity professional. The, the engineer at the facility is going to describe how it was designed and how it operates. Mm-hmm. The cybersecurity professional is going to talk about how they can manipulate that to do something unexpected. Uh, and the response back to the engineer is, well, we didn't design for that. It's like, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and that there is, there's a lot of discussion happening. Uh, uh, that, uh, there's some, I think it's underappreciated how smart these engineers are. Like if you give them a challenge, like, Hey, I, I'm going to try and manipulate this. Uh, uh, they, they can actually change the logic in their controllers to, to at least a flag uh, that sort of setting or, or, mm-hmm. or, or high set point or, or whatever it is. Uh, to bubble up uh, to to the system operators and the engineers, mm-hmm. um, it, we're at the very beginning of that journey. I feel like uh, it's been uh, over ten years at this point, and yeah. yet we're still at the very beginning of, of being able to influence a, a lot mm-hmm. of those discussions. So, so what are, what are some of the impacts that you you've seen? Um, because ones that I've kind of you know looked at, I've been. DEFCON many years and Black Hat and listening to a lot of the talks related to ICS. I've also seen a lot of, you know, the the research papers. And one that comes to mind is around, uh, I think it was a wind turbine where it had a, uh, I think when we talk about, we talk about the kinetic impacts a lot of times a critical infrastructure will have where it can have some moving parts or it can cause some damage. And I think it was, remember, one where it was the wind turbine had what was, it was a emergency, it was a safety feature for a hard stop. But if you did it multiple times, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, hard, you know, hard stop, turn it on again, hard stop. You can actually get to a point where you actually completely, you know, damage the turbine itself, unrepairable, uh, where you'd actually, you know, have to completely, you know, you know rebuild or, or you know, remove it. Um, so we're, what have you seen, you know, when cyber, you know, cyber attacks happen with critical infrastructure? What are some of the impacts that you, you know, have seen and, and can share with us? Uh, yeah, so I, I remember that talk. I, I think that was a Georgia yeah. Tech talk uh, uh, that that uh, individual was representing when they gave that. And, and I, uh, prior to that, I actually I talked to a wind farm operator hmm. uh, and was questioning them. Uh, and, and this goes back to uh, sometimes the engineers are, are more clever than you realize. Uh, there were actually ma- on on this particular wind farm and this particular hmm. turbine. Like uh, I have to be very specific. Uh, they, they had manual overrides in there where mm-hmm. it, it couldn't have tripped repeatedly. There were manual uh, uh, systems that just mm-hmm. you need to go there physically and and move yeah. something to to reset it. Uh, so there's always that aspect of uh, just because the computer says you're doing it doesn't mean you're actually mm-hmm. doing it. Uh, component, uh, which is the, the great aspect of leveraging your facilities, your engineering teams uh, to to great regard. Um, uh, which means it's a lot more challenging to have an impact. Mm-hmm. I think the, the large impacts that we've had have been uh, fairly public, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. the, the refinery trip, uh, which impacted mm-hmm. safety systems, by the way. The, the refinery trip, because the safety system itself that is mm-hmm. there to safeguard catching an unsafe event and shutting the process down, uh, that was directly manipulated and impacted uh, mm-hmm. with the, the Trisis attack. Um, uh, the Ukraine 2016, uh, 2015... Uh, attacks uh, impacted upwards of uh, 220,000 yeah. customers uh, for a series of uh, hours. Uh, basically, the windshield time from a person driving out in their bucket truck to the substation to manually mm-hmm. uh, 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 put the uh, uh, breakers online. Uh, some some of the other 
a, a lot of the other cases that I'm aware of are like uh, near misses or mm-hmm. assumption that what was it cyber. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, the uh, fire systems in, in a, a data center triggering twice in, in two days. And like, what was that? Was that cyber? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and doing the, the, the walkthrough and realizing there was a, a phone line that was connected in there and doing the analysis of what was it cyber uh, and didn't end up being cyber. Th- those are more often mm-hmm. the, the cases than not. Uh, the uh, ransomware is, is definitely a big one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've again near misses where it took down the facility, uh, but the, um, the one facility uh, that I'm thinking of was already in maintenance cycle. So they weren't actually directly impacted by that other than they needed to restore within three days to get out of maintenance <laughs> cycle and, and, and not have the, the pressures of that. Uh, so there's a lot of those um, those near misses that, that mm-hmm. occur uh, pretty regularly. Um, uh, rent, ransomware is a big uh, pain. Uh, it often doesn't have a direct operational impact uh, in mm-hmm. many cases. Like if you're you're uh, an operator managing a SCADA environment, you don't necessarily need real-time visibility. Like you're getting visibu- uh, visibility uh, in, the, in the order of like uh, generally minutes across mm-hmm. a, a large region, a city, whether it's water, power, et cetera. Um, it's not like the system operator is, uh, it's not a video game where, where, where they're, mm-hmm. they're controlling the, the entire thing along the way. They're, they're in the yeah. loop, uh, but they're, uh, there to catch things that go awry, mm-hmm. uh, not uh, continually maintain it. Uh, uh, and that's where high redundancy environments in these uh, uh, these environments uh, tend to be assumed to be very simple, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, but they, they have redundant networks and then they have a backup control center along with that that also has redundant networks and, and, and multiple failover mechanisms. Uh, so it, it starts to add a lot of complexity mm-hmm. and certainly ransomware can have an impact across all of those sites. Um, but it's dependent on the security architecture and how you're doing credentials in, in many ways is, is what lead, uh, leads to, mm-hmm. to those sorts of impacts. Yeah. So one, one thing I was interested in as, as well was that a lot of, I, I do a lot of digital, uh, uh, was it uh, forensics and instant response. And in the past, uh, what I tend to do is when I'm finding doing this investigation, you're looking in, you're on the network and you tend to find that you might be investigating one incident, and you know, all of a sudden you find that maybe six months ago there was another attacker on the network that maybe didn't do anything, but maybe it was they sold the, the access to the next you know, attacker. Right. Um, I was interested with the watering hole uh, uh, research that you just said uh, with the paper on and released the blog on. I was interested in that. You know, how many times do you tend to, when you're doing, you know, let's say, response or doing penetration testing, do you find that there's, you know, multiple attackers on the network. Um, some have motive and some don't. <laughs> um, how, how often does that occur? Because that was, a, it was a really interesting paper when I read it. Uh, that's, uh, 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 that's actually, so it doesn't happen too often. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that said, uh, it's happened a couple of times so far this year. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's the minority, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, in the, the context around that uh, for your, your audience mm-hmm. as well is, uh, so uh, Oldsmar was a, a, a water treatment facility uh, in, in uh, lower part of Florida, uh, in the February timeframe, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the city disclosed that they had a event uh, where a uh, somebody gained remote access mm-hmm. and and uh, 
put a chemical, uh, tried to put a chemical uh, uh, in into the water supply by, by uh, using the, the uh, HMI, the human machine mm-hmm. interface, which is really just a diagram of, of the process. And they're able to click a button, click another button. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, w- it was a very carcinogenic uh, chemical. The operator saw it uh, as it happened uh, and mm-hmm. just said, no, don't do that. Uh, uh, and, and so they were literally doing their job as one of the, the, the components of, of the mm-hmm. overall system. Kind of brittle, if that's what you're relying on from a security perspective. Uh, but it, it did uh, uh, did prevent any mm-hmm. sort of uh, real damage in, in that regard. Um, at the same time, so uh, when that, that public release happened mm-hmm. uh, and, and the sheriff and, and the, the mayor uh, explained explain the walkthrough and, and the dynamics of that, the time it happened, uh, our Intel team started looking at the data uh, uh, from various uh, sources that we have. And we started piecing together uh, that morning, a, a web host went to a website that uh, led to a series of essentially exploit kit type behavior, uh, mm-hmm. fingerprinting of uh, the, the workstation uh, and, and uh, continual uh, redirects and, and interesting sort of dynamics. And then it stopped. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it was like, well, was there was there exploit that was actually delivered uh, that actually led <laughs> to this event? Was it was it much more complicated than we thought mm-hmm. it was, uh, or or what's going on there? Uh, so the Intel team uh, focused on it for a good month uh, of uh, just uh, uh, pulling it apart. And uh, and what we came to is is that uh, it it was fingerprinting workstations uh, for mm-hmm. use in other campaigns. Um, and, and it didn't have any any sort of direct relationship uh, to the attack itself, uh, but it, it had all all the hallmark signs of something more sophisticated. The the waterhole website itself, the victim website, was a a construction company that focused on water facilities in Florida, uh, and and that's so that the the uh, asset owner Oldsmar who went mm-hmm. there. I'm sure they were one of their suppliers or potential suppliers. Uh, and that's what led to the series of events that cascaded mm-hmm. down. Um, seems like a, a odd thing. Uh, uh, but the if, if we had uh, more visibility into that entire campaign of, of all of the, the victim water holding websites, there's probably a diverse group there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the continual theme would be that they had some sort of WordPress plugin or, or some mm-hmm. sort of exploit that was uh, consistent among them. And that's what led to what seemingly looked like uh, a, a targeted waterhole attack was simply a waterhole attack to, to grab uh, 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 fingerprints for, for a workstation mm-hmm. browser. So basically reconnaissance uh, gathering basically for maybe a later campaign or something that were basically just... Yeah, yeah, uh, it's definitely a, a possibility. Uh, and and that, that's where the, the trail ran cold. And, and mm-hmm. we were excited for a while of potentially uh, uh, seeing something uh, that was much more nefarious than, mm-hmm. than say, a, a somebody finding this, uh, uh, an Oldsmar host or, or mm-hmm. team viewer client on um on Shodan or, or, or just brute forcing those credentials off. But uh, at the end of the day, all signs are pointing towards something like that. Right. So, so 
from your perspective, are we in a good place or have we a lot of work to do ahead of us? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like uh, with a I lot of... I don't think those kinda... two things are necessarily mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah. We might be in a good place with a lot of work to do, I think. <laughs> yes. So, I, I mean, I for me, from what we are seeing, it's going to get worse, I think, before we really get kind of um, a priority. I think the executive order that was recently done is is a realization that you know it's from the top you know of, of the government that they do have basically this is a priority they do have visibility and they're not putting together whether it being task force whether it being specialists they're not you know gathering uh experts at the top of the level to to observe and to watch and decide what course of action i think that's a good starting point um my fear is that you know there's a lot of criminal gangs out there that's uh basically getting safe havens from certain nation states that will continue to operate until those governments or until some type of you know, collaboration is, is going to hold them accountable. Um, my fear is it's going to get worse over the next year or two before re- reaction or before the prioritization of this is, is kind of really prior, you know, kind of brought into, let's say, investing uh, security as a safety measure. Um, any thoughts or what, what's your what's your view um, on that? So I, I certainly think that the uh, policies uh, at U.S. government, other government levels are coming mm-hmm. to agreement on what is uh, unacceptable. Uh, it has been something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, it could have happened a long time ago uh, and, and can help deter uh, mm-hmm. some of this. It certainly won't stop it. Um, uh we where Dragos is tracking 15 activity groups that focus on critical uh, mm-hmm. critical infrastructure. That number is not going to go down. Like it's yeah. not going down down to zero. Uh, uh, that 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 cat is out of the bag. Uh, we're we're never going to recover that. Uh, and and so now it's how much damage can be done uh, while we work on mm-hmm. uh, more controls uh, in. Uh, where where Dragos is focused on is visibility. Like, uh, understand what's going on in your environments. Understand who's authenticating in, uh, mm-hmm. how they're gaining access, uh, what commands are being issued to your your controllers. How how your uh, if, if your HMI happens to be trying to beacon mm-hmm. out uh, to the internet, you you should be aware of that. Uh, and, and so it's instrumenting not just along the perimeter of these systems, but mm-hmm. deep in them. Uh, uh, to be able to support your entry response plan. Uh, many of the cases that uh, our customers do have an entry response plan, they have no data to back it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when, when you go to do entry response, you're like, okay, I'm here. Like, well, we have these hosts. Like, do, do you have do you have logs? Um, uh, let me look. Uh, no, it's only for 24 hours and then it rolls over. And like all, all these challenges, what do you expect a forensics person to really do yeah. other than to explain why well, I know what happened over the last 24 hours or, or maybe you'd be able to extend it back 30 days with, with mm-hmm. uh, a, a dead uh, dead drive, uh, dead host forensics on, mm-hmm. on a hard drive and whatnot um, and so that's a real challenge uh, when, when you're asked to do forensics in, in an environment that is not forensics rich it's yes. not log rich mm-hmm. um, and, and this has always been a problem uh, uh, and it, it's where Dragos has been mm-hmm making inroads in there with our technology. Yeah, so. I think yeah, I, I completely agree is that, you know, in, in traditional IT environments, it's not, you know, forensics and evidence rich <laughs> to start with. <laughs> and a lot of the attackers will delete them, the logs and delete every, every evidence before you, know, you even get the chance to review it. 
and even more so in OT side of things, is that when you've got you know 24 hours of, of logs to deal with for an attack that's been you know going on for maybe weeks or months, it's very difficult. You end up you have that piece of the puzzle, but not the big picture. And sometimes it's very hard to to get root root cause analysis or do some type of attribution. So, so Mike, any any final thoughts or any things that you have that you would? No, I mean, I think this has been a great conversation. I appreciate uh, Ben joining us. I think, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about these convergences in all these different spaces, whether it's, um, you know, across technology. And I think it's, yeah. it's just sort of funny how that theme plays out. Like, well, our security people need to work with our safety people. Whether You know, in software engineering, it's our security people mm-hmm. need to work more closely, be teamed up with the software developers. And, you know, it's just this like, yeah, I think we, it's just more continuation of that same theme of yeah. how do we work together and create more of a, a team approach to this um, as opposed to more what's been historically an adversarial approach of, you know, we, we give you the report and you, you, you program against it or you, you go yeah. fix it. So um, just sort of more collaboration across the teams and, and more, more security by design. Um, and, and, you know, we'll just keep beating that drum. <laughs> yeah. I, I will absolutely say with, with a lot of the activity that's occurred over just uh, the last, where are we in July, the last eight months or so, there, there's been a reliance historically on, oh, well, we're air-gapped. Uh, and you dive into that. You know that's bullshit. Uh, I'm sorry. Do you know that's wrong? Uh, the, the board doesn't know that's wrong. They've yeah. accepted that as an answer for a number of years. They thought the risk was mitigated uh, because they were told they were air-gapped. Uh, and, and then when you dig into it, it's like, well, by air gap, I mean, it's on a separate VLAN. It's like, it's <laughs> not an air gap, right? Uh, I mean, even, even, in, even, even humans, in a real yeah. air gap, right? Yeah. I mean, even in a real air gap, we know that it doesn't exist, right? There's right. A, this, there's the sneaker network. Once, um, you know. once humans, once humans interact with it, there's no air gap. That's, right. that's, you know, that was the, the key. I mean, we go back to, to looking at Stuxnet. Once you have people going in and out interacting, you know, you might be physically disconnected, but you might have sensors that can influence, uh, you know, we've seen basically Li-Fi where you can actually, you know, communicate with light, with sound, with people. That's the kind of, you know, when you assume that air gap exists, when you have the air gap means that basically it's buried in the ground and no one can get to it. Um, you know, when you disconnect it, but air gap tends to means that it becomes almost limited in, in, in very little value uh, when it has that, you know, data has not been, been used. So like, the system we have is a, the International Space Station, and that's not air gap either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and one thing is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about you know, one final question around zero trust. And for, you know, we're doing a lot of zero trust in IT. Um, the thing that the challenge I've got, you know, I'm not a big fan of the term. I prefer continuous verification. Um, it's all about, you know, making sure you verify, 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 um, you know, authenticate, verify, audit is my kind of preference. Um, but, you know, when you get into OT side of things, is zero trust even possible? Uh, or do you put zero trust around, you know, let's say the error gap? <laughs> um, what's your thoughts around that side? I think we have a long way to go. I, mm-hmm. I think uh, the the approach historically w- within these environments is mm-hmm. uh, the opposite of that of all yes. trusts. Uh, it's all uh, trust. Everything. Yeah. Yes, the, there's zero authentication. Uh, there, there's <laughs> uh, very little in- integrity, uh, uh, and 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 uh, certainly no no encryption. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you have uh, the 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 name of the game, which is if you gain access to the environment, if you know what you want to do, you can do it. Uh, 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 and 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 with the lack of visibility and in, in controls, 
you'll get away with it too. And nobody will know that uh, what, what actually caused the event mm-hmm. uh, uh, with, with exception of like extreme cases of, of piecing together mm-hmm. uh, a crazy uh, series of events in order to tell that story. Uh, so it, it certainly, that, that's not to say it's not possible, uh, mm-hmm. but the technology, especially as, as you move to uh, the equipment that that's uh, sensing and actuating the environment, um, it's, it's completely oblivious to, to those concepts mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and, and when we have, uh, that, that life cycle of 20 years, uh, where, where this equipment is deployed, <laughs> yes. uh, you can start to understand, uh, the, how, how much it takes to turn this ship around, uh, and, and what, what we can do with it. Absolutely. It's been, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, really enlightening, really kind of interesting conversation. It brings back a lot of memories for me. Um, any final kind of any final uh, comments or words for the audience? Um, you know, around what things maybe they can do today, what what practices they can do just to you know to get themselves on the right track. Uh, uh, that's uh, yeah. I, I would I would go back to the idea that the uh, folks that understand this facility uh, and care about it more than the cybersecurity professional, <laughs> quite frankly are the ones that built it and maintain it, buy them donuts uh, <laughs> and, and, and walk over and start move out of your cubicle, your safety zone, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and really understand how how these systems work. Uh, yes. You're a hacker. You're inquisitive. Uh, in order to do that, you need to start a conversation, uh, and it's not in reading a man page. Uh, it's talking mm-hmm. to these under, engineers, understanding uh, what they're doing often is mapping physics to, to computers uh, uh, and manipulating the world in a very unique way. It's really cool stuff. Uh, 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 but in order to understand it, you have to talk to them and you have to have the conversation of, well, what if I do this? Uh, mm-hmm. What if somebody misuses your system uh, and, and gain those those relationships? Uh, that's going to have a uh, a, a, a large impact uh, mm-hmm. on just the deorganization and how the organization thinks through it uh, by continually having those discussions. Every Friday, go out to the field and, and, and meet the guys, buy some donuts. You'll get them every time with the donuts. <laughs> Very wise words. And uh, <laughs> I think I definitely think that that's something you know, we, we all can do, even outside of critical infrastructure and in all businesses, is understand the user, listen understand what motivates them and what they get measured on for success. Because if you understand their measurements and understand their metrics and how they see success, that allows us to map security into how we can help them, not basically how we do security for the sake of a checkbox, for the sake of security, that it all about basically enables and empowers the organization to meet those metrics and success. So wise words. And uh, Ben, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Uh, keep up the great work at Dragos. I, you know, fantastic, you know, Things that haven't been in the you know foreground and in the visibility for many years, um, I think you know it's it's great to make sure that we prioritize, we make sure that critical infrastructure is protected because a lot of that is what you know it keeps the lights on. Um, it keeps basically us you know in society doing the things we can um, because you know a lot of those things that happen in the background, whether it being when you hit that light switch and the light comes on, or whether you get in your car and you drive to the shop, and whether the food you get in the store. All of those are things are basically you know, powered by critical infrastructure, whether it being logistics, travel, communications, money, and you know, even life-saving things like hospitals and, and, and medicine. Um, so keep all the great work. It's been a pleasure. For the audience, um, make sure you tune in every two weeks for 401 Access Denied. 
And we're here to make sure you keep up with the latest news, latest trends, and just keep you informed and educated. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All the best and take care. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.